Hello and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to learn about the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. Today we are going to discuss marine debris and not just from an angle of why it's a problem, but we are going to hone in on innovative and collaborative solutions and partnerships that are ushering in the next wave of fisheries and manufacturing sustainability. So here to join me for this conversation is someone who is much more well-versed in these issues and solutions than I am. Aaron Adams is the U.S. Northeast Division Coordinator for Net Your Problem. That's N-E-T, like a fishing net which is a company that offers fishing gear recycling services to fishing industry, uh, the fishing industry for end of life or derelict fishing nets and other fishing gear. Erin, welcome. Thank you so much, Jenna. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. And so before we, we dive into the work that you and your colleagues at Net Your Problem do, tell me a little bit more about your background and how you came into this role. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So I am a New Englander. I grew up in Massachusetts, Central Mass, and have been working with the fishing industry since since college, really. I ended up at UMass Dartmouth uh, in Dartmouth, Mass, which is just next door to New Bedford, which is uh, the number one port in the country in terms of number of boats, of commercial fishing boats. So I started working with the commercial fleet in college. And that kind of started my relationship with the ocean. And from there, kind of bounced after college, bounced to Alaska and was a fisheries observer, uh, which are scientists that go out on the commercial fishing boats, collect data. And that data is reported to the NOAA, to National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, And that basically helps manage those fisheries. After that, I bounced back to the East Coast, started to continue to work in a research role. And then finally, well, second to last bounce, went back to Alaska, actually fished uh, in the salmon fishery uh, before returning home to New England. And um, ended up here with Net Your Problem through connecting with Nicole Baker, who's the founder of Net Your Problem. She's been, she started this program in Alaska in 2017. And um, we connected and she, you know, had this, she's a solutions-based innovator. And so wanted to expand the work of Net Your Problem to New England. And through that connection, kind of just started working together. So here we are. And this is this is kind of a total aside, but because you mentioned your background in fisheries, I'm wondering if uh, if you have a favorite fish or fish fact story from the field, or like, is there a fish that's been the bane of your existence? <laughs> oh, well, um, <laughs> I think my favorite, yeah, my favorite fish for sure, uh, sockeye salmon, both for just, they're just so cool. There's kind of a magic in them. Um, so I spent the last three summers working in Bristol Bay in the gillnet fishery there. 
And just the energy of all of that biomass, all of the fish, just like at one time going up the river is, is palpable. Like you can't see the fish really until you pull up your net because the river is pretty murky and, you know, but, um, you know, unless they, they jump out of the water sometimes, but it's just, that's a pretty, that was a pretty magical times when you're like, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, the fish that brought me the most, that comes to mind first, that's brought me the most struggles <laughs> when I was an observer. Um, so you'd go through like three weeks of training and before they send you out on these boats. And so in that training, you go to the fish lab and you have all these preserved fish and you're, they tell, they help you like the scientists at NOAA, like they're great trainers and they really try, they set you up really well. But at the same time, you're learning how to ID these preserved fish. So when you get out into the, into the field, they look way different. And, um, I was on a long liner. I fished up in January. I went up for a season for the Pacific cod. So I, my, one of my jobs was to go, uh, above where the, uh, I forget what it's called, but the gaffer would gaff all the cod coming up off the line so they wouldn't fall back in the water. And part of my responsibility was to count like and identify the different skates that came up. <laughs> and there are like five different species of skates. And there's kind of like two main care categories of like soft nose versus hard nose, I think. I mean, it's been a while since I thought about skates in this way. So I remember just like, I don't know, it's like there was so many bigger things happening in terms of just being in that situation, but I just like focused <laughs> on not being able to figure out like what skate was was which. So that that's the one I remember just being like really, really angry at skates. And I think I, I poor skates, they're, they're great. I just <laughs> directed my anger towards them because there was a lot of other emotion going on <laughs> in, in Alaska in January, but... <clears throat> Yes, totally, totally understandable. Um, and, you know, while you, I heard you talking about salmon, it reminds me of, um, I think it's explore.org or, or some website like that. And you can, you can Google it. You might be aware of this, but they have the, um, the bear cameras uh, oh, cool. where you can watch the bears fishing for all the salmon as they're migrating upstream. And um, I think they're on now. And so usually I'll, I'll try to pull that up during the day as like a little Zen moment or something to spark my curiosity and remind me of why I do what I do while we're all sort of uh, in this holding pattern that is 2020 right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, for listeners out there, if you're curious about the, the salmon migration and you just want to see some really big bears eating, um, they're, they're kind of funny to watch. They're like giant dogs almost. And uh, that's, that's kind of a fun way to to connect with nature, even though we're, we're stuck inside right now. But uh, an, another reason why, one of the reasons why I love hosting this show is that I'm really fascinated by the motivators behind why we as humans do what we do. And so I'm wondering if there are any people or experiences in your life that are particularly influential in shaping your values and your drive to do this work in fisheries and sustainability. Um, and I know that there are probably so many that come to mind because that's such a big question. Um, so, you know, you can also talk about what energizes you to do this work if nothing in particular pops up immediately. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, what immediately comes to mind is like my, my initial, I was lucky in that in my initial work in the field and in science was in a cooperative fisheries lab, which means that we weren't just scientists going and, and working amongst scientists and collecting data and then reporting to scientists. We were scientists <clears throat> who worked cooperatively with the industry and reported our data, yes, to, to scientists and to managers, fisheries managers, but also to those members who were those industry members that we worked with and the steering committees that we worked with on the research. And so working with that, within that cooperative style, and um, and that's all the research I've ever done has always been cooperative, even, you know, fishing, um, excuse me, even observing, being a fisheries observer, you know, you can't, you are usually the only scientist on board and you're working when the fishermen are, are commercially fishing, but you can't do that alone. You know, like you often, you have to kind of coordinate with, with the fishermen to get the, the data that you need, the fish that you need. So um, that's, and what drives me and what was kind of what, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons that I'm continually learning um, from the industry is that just the vet, like the hard work that goes into it. And one of the, like the biggest lesson I learned from working in Alaska as an observer was it didn't matter, like we're talking like really diverse crews and kind of a, being a fly on the wall, like literally, you're, you know, you're observing the, the fish that are being caught and doing the science, but you're also like, I also spent a, lot, a ton of time, you know, just interacting with the, the, other, the crew, my fellow crew and, you know, and, and on any research vessel and everyone's so diverse. They come from different backgrounds. They have different reasons for being on that boat, but what the common denominator is uh, just the, the work, the work ethic and working hard and not giving up and working as a team. And that's kind of a consistent driver. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is an incredible driver. And I, I love that you are already highlighting the the value and necessity of collaboration and uh, partnerships and relationship building. And it sounds like you all do a lot of that through Net Your Problem as well. Will you tell me a little bit more about Net Your Problem, how it came to be, and the mission behind your work? Yeah. So Net Your Problem uh, is a fishing gear recycling program, and it was uh, in the inspiration um, and created by Nicole Baker, who she was, she spent, um, also spent a good amount of time up, she's more time, she spent more up time than, than I did observing up in Alaska. We didn't overlap. I finished like 2009 and she started like 2010. So we, you know, probably knew, have know the <laughs> same people, the but have this huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. this huge shared experience. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the story that Nicole has is that, so she was in Dutch Harbor and was, which is on the Aleutian Island chain. It's another huge port, one of the top ports. It's the biggest port in terms of uh, landings, or it was anyway, um, last time I checked the few years ago. So um, anyway, this is where you're going to catch the you know, deadliest catch was out of there. You catch a lot. There's a Pollock is a huge fishery, all the nets, all the, excuse me, the fishing boats that go out of there. And um, so she was, she was there on her contract as observing, and she noticed just that there was this ton of, you know, fishing nets around, um, 
and she read an article about Adidas and how they were creating shoes out of recycled nets and kind of this inspiration kind of happened to her, this epiphany that's like, well, hey, I'm surrounded by nets right now. I wonder if we there's something here, if we could, you know, could we basically recycle the fishing nets that I'm seeing around me and provide some solution. So that was, oh, Nicole, I have to forgive me. I forget when that really happened, but she started recycling in 2017. Um, Net Your Problem was formally formed in 2018. And um, so since then, the, the Net Your Problem has recycled about 880,000 pounds of, of trawl uh, net and also working on gill net and seine net. So those have been taken from off uh, mostly for from Dutch Harbor and Kodiak are the two the two main ports that uh, those that gear have been recycled from. So um, and yeah, so it's a solution. It's a solution based company where trying to provide the service to industry members to the to the fishery for an alternative to to dumping their their gear in a landfill to incinerating it to you know storing it in their yard so because there's other there's really not too many options um and gear fishing gear is a consumable thing you know you only you can only use it for so long before it's it doesn't work anymore and then you're not gonna you're losing money you know the it's not catching fish as well so you're losing money so you're gonna switch out your gear so what do you do with that old gear um and we're here to kind of create that solution and help work towards that solution. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm thinking about recycling, even as someone that works in the conservation field, I find recycling to be fairly confusing and not necessarily as straightforward as I would like it to be. And I think I do a pretty good job with it, but I, I hear a lot of conflicting information about what can and can't be recycled, how much of it actually is which has then led me down a path to think that we could do an entire podcast series dedicated to telling the story of recycling. But for the purposes of this conversation, I I understand that there are particular materials that you work with, and I'm wondering why these items are more desirable than others. Yeah. Um, the Some things, so the gear majority of fishing gear is plastic based these days and the plastics there are different kinds of plastics that comprise these different gears um, types of gear so the technology available to actually recycle um, isn't it not every single kind of plastic can be recycled so the materials that we use that well that we are able to recycle and send to recyclers are basically nets, like the plastic that you'll find in a trawl net, in a seine net, gill nets, um, float lines. So polypropylene, polyethylene, nylon, those are things that are able to be um, mechanically recycled, meaning just melted down and kind of extruded and pelletized so that it can be turned into another product. So that being said, there are things that right now that technology is not there to recycle, and that includes like those mixed plastics. Um, one example that I'm working on right now, working in New England and Maine, 
uh, is the lobster sink line that is polypropylene, polyethylene, and it's mixed with a polyester as well. And it's that mix that makes it really, it makes it really great at absorbing water and, and sinking and connecting really strong to connect to the traps, but it's difficult to recycle. Um, that being said, you know, technology is always something that's, is always innovating. There's always something happening. Like we just sent, um, I just sent 200 pounds of, of sink line to a recycler partner in, in Nova Scotia to see if they can make plastic lumber out of it. So, you know, there's, there's, there's opportunity and there's, there's hope, but right now the, the systems that are in place, the trawl net, all their gill nets, the mesh that you that you find in fishing gear, that's fairly easy to recycle. Yeah. And I think what gives me a lot of hope is hearing about groups like yours and, you know, some of the other folks that we've featured on the network that are addressing either recycling or trying to stop this pollution in marine debris or plastics at its source. Um, it, it, yeah, it just brings me so much hope and, and we've heard about a couple of the projects that you're working on, but I, I, uh, see that you all work around the world and it, it seems like you're growing and expanding and looking for projects, um, everywhere. Will you touch (laughs) on, uh, some of the things that you're working on, where, where are you guys working? What is your team like? Um, and what projects are you open to? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So um, we are actively recycling in Alaska right now. Um, And we are working in Dutch Harbor, Kodiak, and also working with the Copper River watershed in Cordova. And so that's been up and running for a few years now. We also, so the other places that if you go to netyourproblem.com, you'll see this globe, um, this map, this world map, and you'll see the little, our little icon on different places. And um, those other places are where we have programs in development. So you'll find uh, an, a little logo over Maine, and that's where you know I'm based in Maine, and I'm working in New England and Maine and, and Massachusetts to to develop a program here. Um, and those are really places where we've identified that there is a lot of material, and therefore, hopefully, um, put potential. I mean, where there is potential, and hopefully. Um, a uh, a pretty clear route to being like here. This is a service that we can offer, and hopefully there'd be there's interest in it as well. So we are in Alaska. There's all, we're also in um, California, uh, working with the gillnet fishery there in development there, and in the Florida Keys. We also are in American Samoa. There's a huge tuna fleet uh, based out of American Samoa, and so they are. We have a a, a partner there one of our team who is working with that industry. So um, basically it's like wherever, if you're listening to this and you are, it's not limited to where we already are, like we're open to wherever someone ha- need, has a desire to recycle gear, um, you know, we're, we're open to it. We, we can work together on it. Yeah, we're all in this together. <laughs> it's an yeah. all hands on deck situation. Um, yeah. So- when we think about developing sustainable solutions and when I was thinking about this this whole recycling system and everything that you guys are doing, it got me onto a little bit of a tangent of 
the word sustainable. So we hear the word sustainability used a lot and not just in fisheries and ocean management, but it's become what seems to me like this very broad buzzword that can take on so many different definitions depending on who you're speaking with. So just to clarify and in the context of net your problem, what does sustainability mean and how do you all measure success? Mm. Um, yeah, I would say, so the work that we're doing in the is, is really adding and trying to contribute and propel a circular economy. And so sustainable means that for, I think in the net terms of net your problem is that we are taking this material that has been manufactured from virgin plastic instead of putting it into a landfill, having it be a kind of a single use, you know, or however, single objective use, uh, putting it back and taking it instead of putting it into a landfill, continuing its journey through a facility that can break it down and remake it into another product. Um, and then and with the consumer being, maybe it's a, you know, a phone case, maybe it's a pair of shoes. And then having the consumer then kind of contribute to that circular economy. Um, and so limiting or completely, you know, negating that use of virgin plastic. So I think that's really where I, th I see net your problem kind of fitting into the sustainability is kind of working towards a circular economy that we are as humans, our consumers. And, but we have to be really, we should be conscientious about what we use and um, how we reuse things and um, the journey of our of our products. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to make is uh, in tackling this marine debris and plastic pollution problem, we need to address it from many different angles, from stopping it at its source to finding solutions like what you all are doing with recycling, what's already been produced and what's out there. Um, in addition to being you know, well-informed and conscious consumers. Um, I also think in addition to, you know, recycling sustainability, a common theme of this conversation feels like it's on emphasizing the value of collaboration and support and community and relationship building. And I mean, pulling from my own personal experience, essentially everything that we do through my job uh, with the Healthy Oceans Coalition requires all of those things. I mean, we wouldn't exist without our community. And I'm interested in hearing more about the role that partnerships and community building and collaborations play in the work that you do. Yeah, you're sorry. It's not it's something that I, well, you know, net your problem. And, um, you know, as, as someone who works with net your problem, like, it's not our intention or it's not what our goal or our, our tactic at all to go into a community and be like, here, you must do this. You know, we're going into <laughs> a community and um, just being like, hi, we're here. We are, we have this service and we would love to work with you. Let's design something that works for you. Let's design something that works for your, your industry, your community. Um, you know, recycling is not free. Um, any town where you have recycling or trashed, you know, that's part of the, the big global issue with recycling is that it's, it's expensive. So, um, but it, and it's, 
so it's something that that we all have to it's and it's not on just one group of of stakeholders or individuals to take that you know the responsibility for for a program like this it's like there's many different stakeholders that can benefit from from recycling their like fishing gear whether it be the community to clean up their shore to clean up their landfill to you know landfill mitigation so it's not filling up uh, to you know crews and captains who are you know don't know they have a ton of gear they don't want to throw in a landfill they don't want to incinerate it um, to even like gear manufacturers who are taking more responsibility for the end of life of the products they're producing. So it's, it's, it's really, it is found, it's like, it needs to be a team effort, everything, um, this whole program, um, you know, all the way up to the recyclers, to the brands, there's just on everyone on this kind of pathway of, of this recycling journey, you know, is a stakeholder and, um, and is someone that we can work with and, and kind of do it all together. So that, that cooperation is, is really, really important. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Yeah, and especially because, you know, you all and we as like the royal we are taking on such an incredibly complex challenge and finding these solutions, um, you know, both in fisheries and manufacturing sustainability, but beyond in creating that circular economy. And I often think about, you know, when we're faced with challenges as you know, complex or frustrating as they might be and often are, we can find these silver linings of uh, learning moments and innovation opportunities within them. Um, so that leads me to wonder, what are some of the things that you find most challenging about the work that you do? And through those challenges, what lessons have you learned? Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, right now, right? Um, the biggest challenge, I think there's two big, two really big challenges. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I just started with this program just a couple months ago and right in the, you know, the thick of COVID. So my usual tactic would be go down to the, to the docks and go talk to people and go to a bunch of meetings and just kind of go, go to the different towns, go to the different everywhere ports. <clears throat> and I'm not doing that because it's, it's not appropriate to do so at this time. And uh, so that's, that's been a big challenge is, you know, really relying on, thankfully we do have email, we do have phone we, and I can, you know, go down to some docks and talk to some fishermen at a distance and keep it safe. So it's, it's, it's harder. That's a huge challenge. I think everyone has had to, you know, that's not a challenge to us alone. That's a challenge to everybody. Um, and so the other challenge I th is, is going to be, and especially in New England, where um, just kind of shifting that or creating the new conversation or the thought of this is something that, that we can do. We can recycle fishing gear um, and finding that, that investment in it. I find that there's a lot of, um, of um, investment and a lot of people are really for the idea. One of the big challenges for us in this region is finding the, the funding for it um, and being able to spread that, that the cost of just how, you know, in terms of picking up the gear, sending it to our recyclers, um, just that cost that's involved there, that it's, it's not a free program. So just trying to find ways to uh, basically spread out that cost amongst the stakeholders. So it's, and show that it, this is the value in doing this. And this is something that's definitely doable. So, but it's a pretty cool challenge. I don't know. There's always, you need to have a challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, that, <laughs> that's something I asked you about what energizes you earlier. And I think that's something that, especially working in a climate and conservation space and just in general with the state of 2020 at the moment, I think it's so, so natural to feel overwhelmed and stressed out. And uh, like, there's so much going on that you cannot control. And um, I feel that personally, I've been trying to take these moments as an opportunity to look at what I can control and what can I, what challenges can I address and, you, and what positive impacts can I make? And, you know, likely they're probably pretty small, but over time, I feel like those things add up um, and I hope that they add up and appreciate talking to people like you and, you know, your team and other people that have been on the show just to demonstrate that. Uh, there is a lot going on. Like you can't lie about that, but there are people out there that are working on the problem and that there's so much space for people to join in. Um, there's room for all of us and there's room for all different people from different backgrounds and mindsets and, you know, education levels. Um, I feel like we just, we need a, to build an entire community and uh, it takes time, but it's uh, it's well worth the effort for sure. Dude, I, this one one reason I love working with the fishing industry is that uh, you know if you have a problem, if you need something to be troubleshooted, just put it in front of a bunch of fishermen, and they'll figure it out. Like there are so many times, like in in working in the field for the majority of the past like fifteen years, like 
most of my time has been on a boat in some way or another. And like the, the amount of times when something would go wrong and there's, I mean, something's going to go wrong every time in field science, in fishing, you're going to leave the dock and something's going to go wrong. It's just kind of a given, whether it's a really small thing or it's a big thing. And so you just have to, to deal with it. And the amount of times where I was like, oh man, that's the end of the trip. We have to go back in. Um, and then it gets, you know, the engineer on board, the crew on board, the captain, they figure it out and they fix it. And it's like, and then we continue on our way is just so amazing. Um, you know, and, and in terms of like fishing gear recycling, like there's already a program here, a, like a community that is able and successfully recycling their fishing gear um, out in Matindicus Island. Um, and there's a woman um, out there who is the recycler and she is, she works for the recycling and basically has figured out a way like their industry there is fishing. Um, and they are already successfully like have this recycling, the logistics of Matinicus Island, if no one knows, is just like, they have maybe a ferry service, like every 30, like 30 days out of the year. Um, and it's pretty hard to get to. There's really no flights there or anything. I don't even think any at all. Um, and it's really expensive if you do fly there. And so they're already kind of like, they created this solution to kind of get a ferry over, you know, get a truck, bring it over, then bring it to, to the incinerator. So it's, that's really inspiring kind of hearing that it's like, all right, they're already doing that. There's definitely, there's hope there's, there's solutions will be, will happen. Yeah. And I, I really admire that it's a community driven and community based approach. It's not like you were saying earlier, something that somebody comes in and says, this is what's happening now. Um, it seems like it's, it's built from what works for their community and, uh, what the community is able to do and is on board with. So I think that's fantastic. Uh, another question that popped up while I was listening to you is, um, you know, and I probably should know this, but how are recycling programs typically funded? Is that something that's generally funded based off tax dollars or grant funding? Yeah, in my understanding, tax, tax dollars are a huge funder. Um, like in your towns, um, the the example I just shared with Matinicus Island uh, with Eva Murray, uh, they they uh, fund it through property tax. So, um, and there's also grants as well that that are that people can utilize to 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 start up funding different recycling programs. So, those I think are yeah would be the two big. I think the biggest would be would be the taxpayer dollars for if you're thinking about like your town's recycling programs, but I'm not a huge, I'm not an expert on, on that part of it. I'm still, still learning that part of it. So. Well, me too, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I bet you know more about this than I do. So I often, I'm like, Oh, if I have a question, um, even if I feel like I should know it, probably listeners are out there hopefully wondering the same thing. So yeah, I'll, yes. I'll be the one to ask. Um, so I know that we find ourselves in these uh, pretty tricky times with uh, COVID and, uh, you know, just the general state of the world. But um, so it might be difficult because I know thinking from my my organization's perspective when we're looking forward to what's next and what our goals are, I think we've we've had to pivot quite a bit to go a little 
bit more virtual um, in a space where we typically are, uh, we try to go in person and meet with our members as much as possible to build those relationships. Um, so I'm wondering if you guys have plans for, you know, what's in store next, what projects are you working on next? Um, you know, hopefully COVID hasn't put too much of a pause on, on the great work that you're doing. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, fishing's still happening. So, um, thankfully, you know, uh, so right now, um, gear is actively being collected, uh, in Alaska. We have a new, we have a partnership with Copper, Copper River Watershed, which is a huge, uh, salmon fishery in Alaska, in Cordova. And, um, so that's work that's going on there now. We have a partnership with them and Grundens actually. So making, turning the, the, the gear that's turned in and recycled from that fishery and turn it into some clothing, working with Grundens. Um, in Maine and Massachusetts, where I'm working, so kind of working on just building those relationships and, and reaching out to the different ports. And um, I'm working primarily focusing up down east, uh, which is kind of, if you're from Maine, uh, if you're thinking like Acadia and kind of from from the Penobscot Bay all the way to Can- to the Canadian border, that's kind of considered down east. Such so a beautiful part of the state. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love being able to go up there. So going and like, like a couple weeks ago, I was able to go and like safely participate in, in, the, in the lobster boat races that are going there. So it's trying to make some connections. Oh, so it's still happening. It's just like, have to be strategic and in, in yeah. making sure that everyone's, that I'm, you know, not going to be a vector bringing to going to these different places. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also working with New Bedford. Like my, my base was New Bedford for 15 years. Um, so, so that's a place that I'm particularly interested in, in kind of working in. Um, also working kind of developing in American Samoa with, uh, the, the tuna fleet there and, um, California with, they have a huge, they just had a, they have a huge gillnet fishery there. So kind of working on, on collection sites there. So it's still happening. Um, while it's, yeah, just, this is a great way to try to figure out how to be creative in, in how we collect and how we, and how we send things, um, send things abroad and, and connect with, and, uh, excuse me, communicate with people as well. So. Yeah. It's like a problem solving on the fly, just like those (sighs) people on the fishing boat. (laughs) And yeah. And I think it's okay as well. Like, you know, we're, we are laying foundations in different places and I think it's okay that everywhere is paused a bit. And while, so you have to, when you, you asked earlier about like, how do we measure success? And I think one way is just, you know, going with the intention of, leaving a place better than you found it in a way in terms of like, even how I think about personally, or, you know, if you're able to, to, to leave a situation, having learned something from someone else, like, I think those are the the measure of success. Um, that really that, that person connection, um, and that, that place connection. So, and it's kind of create these foundations, these relationships, and then, and kind of take the, the steady, progression. Um, and like you said, make little, little steps and, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be where you want to be. So I think that's a a pretty important thing to kind of think about just, we can, we can move slow 
um, and still make progress that and and get where we want to go. Absolutely. And for anyone out there that's listening that might be interested in learning more or following along or partnering with you, how can people stay in touch and get involved? Yeah. So you can find out more about Net Your Problem at netyourproblem.com. We are also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn uh, under the same handle, Net Your Problem. You can reach out to me personally if you're in New England and you have any questions or anything piqued your interest or you have some gear you want to recycle, if you'd like to partner with us, um, if you're a town or a port, um, reach out to me. It's erin at netyourproblem.com. Um, and yeah, and happy to, to go from there. Great. And so I always like to wrap up each show by asking my guests the series of the same broader questions. Uh, it's become this really great social experiment to find these common threads and themes that all of these incredibly bright minds and interesting people that I have the privilege of speaking with, um, you know, they can share with our listeners and it's a nice way to glean any last thoughts and insight. So the the first one that I like to start with is what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we are faced with? Yeah, I think um, right now we, the most, yeah, the most pressing environmental challenge I think is intersects with the racial justice um, movement that we are, we find ourselves in as well and how there's that, those three P's of like planet, people, and I mean, well, profit as well as part of that and for the business part of it, but um, people and planet are, are so interconnected and we can't go forward with, you know, when, as we go forward with environmental justice, we have to think about where do we send our waste? Where, who, who are, who's impacted by where we send our waste um, and trying to make sure that as we solve these problems, that um, there's a solution that that for all all people who are involved, um, you know, right now the the waste um, and the pollution of our world impacts uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities much more than than white communities, and so we just have to take a, a good look at that and and see where can we make changes so that we can add to some solutions in those realms. In those communities. Yes, I agree 100%. And I I think adding on to that thought too, just looking at uh, who is at the table and who has a voice um, and who's being heard in the decision-making process. Um, So this is, this time I think is a great opportunity for us to reflect as, you know, an environmental community and a community as a whole, even broader than that, um, about you know, our actions and who's being included and disproportionately impacted by our actions. And um, now's the time to to make behavioral changes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my next question is, what are you hopeful for moving forward? Oh, um, so much. I'm, I'm really hopeful for 
it might be <laughs> um, in a very kind of, I'm, I'm hopeful for, for that those days when I'm down on the docks or at a collection site and, you know, there's hopefully like a line of trucks of people dropping off their gear and loading that shipping container and having that shipping container sent to the recycler and then, you know, just having um, it be a celebration and just kind of a really fun uh, collection event. So that's, and I think that, you know, just the community of it and the, um, I'm looking forward to that kind of that buzz, that feeling of, of, of just, I don't know. Of hard experience work and, paid off. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. So, and it's just, you know, it's something that's going to continue and continue and continue. Hopefully, you know, this is a sustainable, we're trying to do like a, you know, talking about sustainable, but like a sustainable solution where this is something, a system that continues to, a service that continues to, to benefit a community, to benefit an industry. Um, so um, pretty hopeful. I'm pretty, I'm hopeful for that. I'm excited about that. I'm hopeful for that too. And so this last one is a two-part question. So the first is, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And then uh, I like to flip that because we have a lot of, you know, lifelong learners that listen to the show. So then we flip it and say, what advice do you have for the listeners? Hmm. Um, I guess the best advice, there's so much good advice, man. Um, <laughs> I, I think I really love um, just following your curiosity Um and that kind of takes the, in a way, it like took the pressure off me a little bit, just being like, you don't have to know exactly as, as a young, when I was in my early twenties or late teens, trying to figure out like, what do I want to do with my life? And, you know, even, <laughs> even as I've gotten older and I'm <laughs> not that stage anymore, uh, it's like, what do I want to do? You know, and just finding, just follow your curiosity in a way. And it doesn't have to, there's no, there's no real, um, while we may think there's kind of like a set track and trajectory for for your life, um, just it's really amazing when you can kind of just follow your curiosity and see some. Maybe it won't work, but and then maybe if you're openly kind of following something, uh, it would can open up this opportunity that you never knew was was possible or or available. So. Um, yeah. So when I find myself being like, oh, what should I do? I just kind of think about that. It's like, what are you curious about? Like just even a little bit and then, and follow that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for, yeah, for advice, I guess it, it's, I mean, I want to perpetuate the follow your curiosity and just try to connect uh, with people um even if it's in a small way um, because you never know when those small connections can kind of lead to something like i can follow where i'm sitting right now i can follow that thread from with like uh, at least like a half dozen different really kind of unexpected little twists and turns so and it's from from different connections i've had with people so the value of those around you and the people and sharing your thoughts and your um, interests and is is going to basically, I think, shape 
but has shaped my life and continues to shape my life. And I think that's, I think that's one of the keys um, is to is connecting truly with people and, um, and working hard and following and seeing what happens. That really resonates with me. And, you know, for people that listen to the show, they've probably heard me say this before, but uh, the whole reason I have this opportunity to host this show on this network is because I happened to sit next to uh, the one of the co-founders of the network at lunch at a conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I live in New England, um, and it's sometimes it is all about who you strike up a conversation with and um, connect with. And, you know, then for the past two years, I've had this incredible opportunity. So just one example of those many moments that you never really know um, where they might take you. But if you have the interest and the curiosity and the passion um, to just follow that thread, see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for just to kind of, I know we're wrapping up, but just follow up like how I, how I ended up sitting here with net your problem, how I actually kind of like met Nicole was through Instagram because I belong, we both belong to this uh, women in fisheries and the, or those who identify as women in fisheries group, um, the strength of the strength of the tides, uh, which is based out in Bellingham by a woman named Bel- Elma Burnham. And so she would highlight different women every, every month. And I was one of the people that was highlighted. Uh, it was my month and, um, Nicole reached out to me. So that's, and then here I am. So, you know, like, um, you just never know. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool. It this, is really this, cool. This whole journey. Yeah. And, and now we're sitting here connecting with each other. Yeah. <laughs> <Which is great. laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Aaron, I thank you so much for joining me today. I, I learned so much from you and I look forward to following along with all the great work that you and your colleagues are doing. So thank you again for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'd also like to thank the listeners. If you like what you heard and want to hear more of this show or explore other shows on the network, you can find the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much appreciated. And you can find us online on Facebook. We are the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are Coastal News 365. You can connect with me personally on Instagram. I'm at Jenna Valente and on Twitter, I'm at Yenna Benna. Um, So until next time, find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines.